and turn to Luke, or um, excuse me, Mark, Mark chapter 6, Mark chapter 6, and we're going uh, to start reading in verse number, verse number 45, verse number 45, Mark chapter, Mark chapter 6. Mark chapter 6 and verse number 45, and we're going to start reading. And the Bible says, And straightway he constrained his disciples to get into the ship and to go to the other, go to the other side before unto Bethsaida, while he sent away the people. And when he had sent them away, he departed into a mountain to pray. And when even was come, the ship was in the midst of the sea, and he alone on the land. And he saw them toiling and rowing, for the wind was contrary unto them. And about the fourth watch of the night he cometh unto them, walking upon the sea, and would have passed by them. But when they saw him walking upon the sea, they supposed it had been a spirit, and cried out. For they all saw him, and were troubled. And immediately he talked with them, and saith unto them, Be of good cheer. It is I, be not afraid. And he went up unto them into the ship, and the wind ceased, and they were sore amazed in themselves beyond measure, and wondered. For they considered not the miracle of the loaves, for their heart was hardened. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we just thank you for the opportunity that we have to get into your word tonight. We thank you for how it speaks today, Lord. We just pray that... Your word would be clear tonight. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. There are few things quite as annoying to New Yorkers. Few things quite as annoying to New Yorkers as someone who doesn't know where they're going. As someone who doesn't know where they're going. New Yorkers have places to go, people to see. We call it the New York Walk where we're just going. One of the, to me, one of the most frustrating places to go in the city is Times Square. You've got tourists going, Hey, look at that building. Hey, look at that building. I wonder if that building's taller than that. As a New Yorker, I want to say, if you want to look at breaking glass, that's fine. Just don't do it in the middle of the sidewalk. Because i got to go through. How many have ever felt that way? As, as a New Yorker, I'm trying to go places, and they're like... The worst is when you have New York, when you have drivers trying to figure out which street, um, which turn to take on the highway, and they're going. They think the speed limit actually means something. They don't understand that it means you do what everybody else does. So they're going 25 miles an hour on the highway because they're not sure which way they're going. And you're like, get out of my way! You're going to cause an accident here. Well, now this is somewhat humorous, and New Yorkers, they're going to go where they're going to go because that's what they need to do. They have places to go, people to see. They're going to get some certain business done. But when you don't focus on where you're going, you can get in a lot of trouble. But when you focus only on where you're going, you can miss a lot of the things that are going on around you. When you are only focused on what exactly you're doing, 
when a, when a non-New York driver is focused extremely on his GPS, because that's the only hope he has of getting anywhere, he's not really paying attention to the rest of the traffic that's going around on around him. Because he's like, wait a second, right in the middle of the highway. How many have seen that? I know I've seen that plenty of times. You're like, GPS follower doesn't know where they're going. Doesn't know where they're going. But while, But when we're living the Christian life, when we're trying to follow Christ, it's easy at times just to get something in our mind or we're, we're going through life and there's a problem, there's a situation in our life, and we can get so focused on that. We can get so focused on the trial, on the circumstance, on that person that's in our life, that we begin to miss things that are going on around us. And we can become blinded to what God is trying to teach us through that circumstance. Because we can become so focused on, I, I just have this financial situation, I have to get through this so I can do this. And we can, that can become our focus instead of focusing on what God is trying to do through this situation. And we're, that's what we're going to learn about tonight. The title of the sermon is, Don't Lose Sight of Christ. As we go through, we're going to learn from the disciples tonight once again. Before we get to this passage, we have to do some background once again. Before we get to the disciples in the ship, it is very important that we go all the way back to Mark, to the beginning of Mark chapter 6 and go the whole way through. I'm not going to read all 50 verses. We would never finish tonight, even though I'm a short preacher we, and read, would read fast. We would never finish tonight. But we're going to go through. We're going to go through the story. Most of you are, are aware of it. But it is very important that we get the whole context so we can see why and where the disciples were, both physically, spiritually, emotionally, by the time they get into the ship. See, if you go back to the beginning of Mark chapter 6, if you go to uh, actually verse number 7, um, Jesus called the twelve. He'd already been with the twelve probably for about a year at this time. They had been on trips together. At the beginning of the chapter, they had just gone back into Galilee, and they'd been with Jesus, and he'd been teaching them, they'd been with him, they'd seen Jesus perform many miracles, and then Jesus says, okay guys, your turn, and he takes the twelve, and he divides them up into teams of two, and he sends them out throughout the countryside, and they are to go, and they are to preach the gospel in the villages, they are to go, and they are to heal the sick, they, Jesus gives them power to cast out devils. Jesus gives them power to perform many of the same miracles that Jesus has already performed. And He says, I need you to go and preach the Gospel in these villages, in these towns. And the Bible says they went preaching that men should repent. The Bible doesn't say how long they were gone, but they must have been gone for at least a couple weeks. This was the journey. They would walk where they were, where they were going. They had to trust the Lord for their provision. Jesus told them, don't take any money. Don't take extra coats. Don't, don't take provisions to provide for yourself on this journey. Rather, you need to trust God is going to take care of you. Go and stay in one house while you're there. Preach the gospel. Leave. Move on. So that's what the disciples are doing. They go. They go out and they preach. And they perform miracles through the power of God. They see lives change. They see people surrender to the Lord. And then they come back to Jesus. From other passages, 
It doesn't say here in Mark, but we know they come back and they talk to Jesus about how they had power over the evil spirits and how they had power over sickness through, through Jesus Christ. And they are excited. The disciples are very excited. They've just, they've been preaching. They've got to do a little bit of what Jesus got to do. They've seen people be, um, repent and come to know Jesus Christ. They've had some people baptized. Um, with the baptism of John. They've seen great things happening. And they come back to Jesus and they're excited. And they're saying, Jesus, you don't understand what's going on. And they're like, yes, I gave you the power. This is great. This is what I want to have happen. There's, there's just this immense excitement. There's, when something's happening, there's just like that, there's just a synergy among the disciples. They're saying, we're on the same page here. We're going forward. This is why we came to follow Jesus. And then a bomb falls on them. You see, many of the disciples, almost all of the disciples of Jesus, not all of them, but most of them, had been previous disciples of John. John the Baptist. Andrew, James and John, they've been disciples of John the Baptist. He went and called Peter. Andrew called Peter. Peter had been at least following John at some times, had known John, had experienced some of his preaching. And the king Herod had imprisoned John for his preaching. They had known that. They were saddened by that. But then they found out that Herod had executed John because of the evil plotting of his wife and Herod's wickedness. Because of what Herod was doing, their mentor, their first mentor, now they were following Jesus, but the person who had kind of brought them out had taught them some of their first lessons. John was suddenly executed. And they went... And they buried John. So the disciples go from this great high point where they've been preaching, where they've been seeing miracles accomplished, to they come back and their first mentor is dead, executed by the king. He didn't just pass away, he had his head chopped off. And so they go from this great, just ecstatic state, yes, we're seeing things happen, to sorrow, understandably, but just a tragedy in their lives. They're broken up about it. And while all this is going on, they've come back to Capernaum where their, where their kind of headquarters is, and there's people coming all the time. The multitude is constantly swarming them. The Bible says they didn't even have leisure so much as to eat. Like, it was just constant movement of people, constant things happening. And they're... Um, eating when they can, they're sleeping when they can get a chance. Things are happening, but they're beginning to get worn ragged. They've been on just a roller coaster of emotions the last weeks. They've been on just things happening this way, then it's changing to this way. And the whole time there's just the multitude constantly swarming them, constantly trying to bring their sick relatives to Jesus to be healed. And Jesus tells them, hey, let's go aside. Let's, let's go to a desert place. Now, this isn't talking about sand. You know, we're going to go in the rocks in the middle of the desert and get roasted to death. No. What the word desert here means is isolated. In fact, Mark here uses the word green grass when he's talking about the multitude later. So this was, this was a nice area, but it was isolated. They could go, they could get some quiet. Basically, Jesus said, let's go take a vacation just for a couple days. Let's get away from the multitude. Let's get some rest. You guys need some rest. So they get in a boat, they leave quietly, they're like, maybe nobody will see us. 
Jesus knows what's going to happen. But the disciples are like, yes, we're finally going to get a break. So they row across the sea all the time on their mind. What they're focusing on is, I'm going to get a break. I'm going to get some rest. And they get across, and as, as, as their boat nears the land, they didn't see the green grass, wide open spaces that they were expecting to see. They saw the multitudes. The same people that had been, and more, because the Bible says they gathered from all the cities when they saw Jesus leaving, and they went around the other cities, and on foot, they outran the boat, ran around to where Jesus was going, and met Him there. Just these vast multitudes. So these disciples, you know, you get to that time like, I'm going on vacation tomorrow. And you just, that's what you're focusing on. Your brain starts to shut off and like, I'm just, I'm going to go on vacation. I'm going to just tone it down. It's going to be nice, peaceful. And when you're, when you have that kind of way of thinking, when you're like, you have something planned and then it gets totally shattered, that's kind of frustrating. You should, you should, it'd be like going on vacation and all your coworkers with all the business, your, your boss decided to move business that day to the hotel where you're going on vacation. It says, hey, we need you to work today. That would be kind of frustrating. That would be just like, what? No, this isn't what I planned at all. This, isn't what, this is what is a, wasn't what I was trying to do. So the disciples show up. The vast multitudes are there. And they're just kind of looking around at one another like, this isn't happening, is it? But Jesus... Jesus, as God, He has compassion on the multitudes. And He comes out of the ship. Probably the disciples are like, can we go back, Jesus? We can beat them back across. We can beat them back across the sea. They can't outrun us if we try. Jesus stops, takes them out of the ship to the area where they're supposed to have a vacation and begins to teach the people. The Bible says, teach the people many things. And He teaches them all day. And the disciples are starting to get... Disciples... They're glad to hear Jesus teach. But they're starting to get a little frustrated. They're starting to get kind of grumpy. But Jesus saw the true needs of the people. And He taught them. And He healed them. The same thing that they were doing back before they went to get a vacation. On their vacation, they were doing the exact same thing. And as the day draws to a close, they left early in the morning. They got over there. Probably whatever time they got over there sometime, maybe let's just say around noon, let's just say. And Jesus begins teaching. And He teaches from 11 o'clock noon all the way to the day is drawing to an end. Supper time, 6 o'clock. He teaches all day. And the disciples say, come to Jesus and say, as Jesus is wrapping up, and say, hey, Jesus, these people need to eat. It's time for them to go. They need, they need to go get something to eat. And Jesus says, Yes, they do. Feed them. And these disciples are like, yeah, they, and um, they say, Jesus, we don't have the finances to feed these people. Um, we're out here in the desert. We don't have, there isn't even the ability to get the food to feed these people. Hey, Jesus, um, we can't feed these people. Jesus, there's, there's thousands of people out there. 
um, one of the disciples, one of the other gospels says it was Philip, says, um, let me turn, turn the passage, that not even um, uh, verse, verse number 37, he answered and said unto them, give ye them to eat. And they say unto him, shall we go and buy 200 penny worth of bread and give them to eat? Some, um, I was re- doing some reading when I was studying for this sermon. Some people said the, the phrase 200 pence, which would have been like 200 days wages for, for, the, for those fishermen, for the multitude that was there. They were like, 200 pence was what we would use as just, hey, it was like a million bucks. Something they would say, that's just the sum they would throw out there as something completely ridiculous. Or it was something somebody actually was thinking and doing some calculating. Because that would be somewhere around thirty, forty thousand dollars $40,000. Which to feed a multitude that has 5,000 men only plus women and children, that's not that far off in today's terms. That's really not that far off. And so either someone's sitting there trying to say, and running, they're like, can we do this? Or someone's like, Lord, if we had a million bucks, we couldn't feed these people. Either, either or they're saying, Jesus, you're crazy. We can't feed these people. We came to get a vacation, and you're saying, feed this multitude. So Jesus says, come on, come on, guys. What do you got? So one of them, one of them goes, finds the little boy's lunch. We know the story. Five loaves and two fishes. And they bring it back to Jesus and say, Jesus, this is all we got. How are we going to feed these people? The disciples are a little bit frustrated at this time. Maybe a lot. We don't know for sure. But they bring it back. They bring, the, they bring this total of five small loaves, five little rolls, and two, two small pieces of fish, two small fish. They bring it back to Jesus. Jesus says, all right, go, go take the multitude, split them up, let them sit down on the grass so you can feed them. So now the disciples have to go out and begin to organize the multitude. They have to begin to work with the people they never really wanted to see that day. And they're beginning to organize them and spread them around and say, okay, you're going to sit here. They're going to sit here. And like people are asking them, so what are we going to eat? And they're like, I don't know. Just sit, just sit down. Don't ask me questions right now. Just sit down. So they go back to Jesus and Jesus prays over the loaves and he begins to break it off and just hand it to the disciples. And the disciples take it out and pass it to the people. From the best we understand, the multitude never saw the five loaves and the two fishes. They may have seen it. They may have heard the whispering that this came from five loaves and two fishes. But the disciples knew where it came from. And Jesus just kept handing it out. And handing it out. And he just kept breaking it off and handing it out. And breaking it off. And the disciples took a load. Suddenly five loaves. Each one had a basket like had their robe, maybe they took off their outer coat and filled it with stuff and they're carrying it around and they're feeding all the people and they're like, hurry up, eat so you can leave, hurry up, you know. And so the disciples are doing that and they're feeding all the people and Jesus just keeps breaking off the bread and breaking off the fish and putting it out. And the disciples, they go around and they feed. It takes a long time to feed even 100, 150 people. You're here at the... um, international dinners and you know we've got maybe 80 90 100 people here and it's 20 30 minutes to go through if you're at the back of the line to 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 go the whole way through this we're talking about a crowd easily 10,000 people easily 10,000 people 
And these 12 disciples have to go around and feed 10,000 people. You're like, Jesus, I thought you said we were coming to take a rest. He's like, here's more food. Go pass it out. And then they're done eating. And Jesus says, go clean up the tables. Go clean it up. Go gather up the fragments so nothing is lost. Can't they pick it up? What did I I told you, go pick it up. So now the disciples are going back out. And they're having to pick up everything that's all around. And they gather 12 baskets of the fragments left over. The disciples know that this is a miracle. They know that Jesus performed a miraculous feat from that, in that he provided for all the multitudes so that there was so much baskets left over. And then... Jesus says, I'm going to send the multitudes away. And the disciples are like, yes. And he says, now get back in the ship and go back across. And they're like, no. No. And Jesus, the Bible says Jesus constrained them. Jesus constrained them. That means he, he had to earn, he's like, come on guys, you're getting in the ship and you're getting in now and you're going across the sea. You're getting in the ship now, in the boat, everybody, get your stuff. Get the 12 baskets of food. Get in the ship. Go. Get. I'm going to send the multitude away. I'll meet you on the other side. Go. Get out of here. So much for the vacation, right? So the disciples, they get in the ship. They're going back to where the multitude's going. So they're going to meet them back on the other side. I don't know if I want to imagine, but you can imagine the faces on these disciples. Because they rolled over in the morning... They spent all day listening to Jesus teach. Then they had to feed over 10,000 people and then clean up after them. Now Jesus is saying, get back in and row about seven miles as night is falling. Go back across so you can meet the multitude in the morning. And they're like... They're they're probably just having... Because Jesus isn't there anymore, so they're not putting on a front. They're, They're probably grunting and groaning and saying, why are we doing this? And so they begin to row the seven miles back across the sea. Well, as they're rowing across the sea, they encounter just a fierce opposing wind that turned a trip that was already on their nerves, already a sore spot with them. This wind comes up and turns it into just a nightmare. The Bible says that they were toiling and rowing When Jesus looked out on them in the middle of the sea, in the fourth watch of the night, that's between 3 and 6 o'clock in the morning, somewhere in there. So 4 o'clock in the morning, it's dark outside, and this wind is just sweeping down through the valley against them. And they're trying to row against this wind, and they've been rowing for about 8 or 9 hours now, and they've only made it halfway across the sea, about three and a half miles. They've only made it halfway across, and it's three or four o'clock in the morning, and they're like, the multitude is going to be there when we get to the other side. It's, they're just going, they're frustrated, they're upset, and they're fearing for their lives at this point, because the wind is blowing the water into the sea, and the boat is going every which way. These are good, most of them were fishermen, good sailors. They knew the sea like the back of their hands, but they... They weren't making any headway against this wind. And they were just rowing. And they were toiling. It has the idea of torture. It was just, it was hard. It was, 
It was painful. Every joint in every muscle was numb. Their minds were blank. Remember, they'd just gone through all this emotional ups and downs before they went out on their vacation to be totally turned upside down so they could work all day, so they could come back across the sea. And then all of a sudden, in the middle of the sea, they see something walking across the sea. And the disciples go out of their minds. The Bible says that they were troubled. Okay? Now, it has, that's the same word as when it, the angel troubled the waters. Remember the man who was healed at the... Jesus came and healed the water? It's the same word. It has yet... These guys were literally shaking. They were already tired. They were already frustrated. Now, they are ready to jump out of the boat. They are visibly moved by what they've seen and not in a good way. They are going, we're seeing things, we're done. I'm in the middle of the ocean and something's on the water out there. It's a spirit, it's a ghost. We're, 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 we're done. We're going we're gonna to die out here. And as soon as Jesus hears them, they're screaming their heads off. These grown fishermen are just going nuts in this boat. And Jesus says, be of good cheer, it is I. Be not afraid. And they, these, they're just, they're, the Bible says, let's look at it. And verse, let's, let's start reading in verse number 49. But, but when they saw him walking upon the sea, they supposed it had been a spirit and cried out. For they all saw him and were troubled. And immediately he talked with them and saith unto them, be of good cheer. It is I. Be not afraid. And when he was come up unto them into the ship, the wind ceased, and they were sore amazed in themselves beyond measure and wondered. So they're going nuts. They're screaming. And Jesus says, Be of good cheer. It is I. Be not afraid. And they're like, they're like, Am I hearing things? And then Jesus comes up and steps into the boat. And as soon as he steps into the boat, remember the boat's been going back and forth. They've been pulling as hard as they can against these waves. And Jesus gets in the boat and it all stops, the wind. And so all the disciples have been hanging on to something or pulling. All of a sudden, the, they've been pulling against the wave. All of a sudden, the boat, boat shoots forward and the disciples fall over. And they, they're falling all over the place because the, the wind just stops. The sea is at a dead calm. And the Bible says that they were sore amazed. They were beyond measure. And they wondered. They were, they're like, what's going on here? What's going on here? The Bible says in, in, in other sections, it says they worshipped Him here. They, they said, wait a second. This is Jesus. He just walked on the sea which we've spent all day, all night trying to row, he steps in the boat and the sea goes still. And they were completely just dumbfounded. They were completely, they were just, they were saying, we're out of our minds. They were, they were just completely bewildered. They were amazed. They, were, they saw the power of God at close hand and they're just falling on their faces What's going on? This is, this is Jesus who we just heard preach. 
And here he comes defying nature, walking on the water. And he gets in the boat, and this vicious storm we've been fighting all night dies. The disciples were completely amazed at Jesus' ability to walk on water. But should they have been? Should they have been completely amazed and just out of their minds that Jesus could walk on water? They had seen Jesus do other miracles. Sure, if anything walking on the water at 4 o'clock in the morning is going to, it's going to freak anybody out. But why did Jesus, knowing there was a storm coming, knowing the disciples were so tired and frustrated, why did Jesus put them in a boat and send them across? Knowing there was a storm coming. Was Jesus just trying to mess with the disciples and say, Here, let's see how tough you guys are. You're fishermen, let's see what you can do in this. Then I'll show you how to do it. No, Jesus is God. He isn't going to just mess with people. He, he isn't going to just put them through trials for the fun of it. Jesus is trying to teach the disciples a lesson here. Apparently a lesson that they had missed. Because the Bible says, For they considered not the miracle of the loaves, for their heart was hardened. You see, the disciples had allowed their success early, their suffering, life, to dull their minds and stiffen their hearts. They had allowed just the circumstances and trials of life to come upon them in such a way that they were no longer thinking. They saw what Jesus did with the miracle of the loaves. They were the ones who carried the food from Jesus to the multitude. But they had become so overwrought with their frustration, with the tragedy of John the Baptist being executed, with seeing the multitudes over there and having to put up with them again in their minds, with seeing that they had become so frustrated, become so disconnected from what Jesus was doing that they didn't even realize what was happening. The Bible says they considered it not. They had seen it and it didn't, they didn't understand it. They hadn't really thought about what was going on. As oh, Jesus is breaking bread. Let's take this and let's do this. They were seeing the power of God in action at the feeding of the 5,000 and it didn't affect them. That's what it means their hearts was hardened. It's the idea to petrify. It becomes immovable. The, the very power of God in seeing the feeding of the 5,000 hadn't even impressed them. It had been impressed upon their hearts. It didn't change them. And so Jesus desired. He, he, he made them get in the boat. Jesus was trying to do something here. He desired the the disciples, to endure even greater struggles than they had already gone through, he was going to amp the pressure just a little bit more. Because the disciples, the reason why was this, they had allowed life's circumstances and life's trials to blind their ability to understand and to see the power and sufficiency of Christ. The disciples had allowed life circumstances and trials, what they were going through, to blind their ability to understand and see 
the power and sufficiency of Christ in what he was doing. And so Jesus said, if you're not going to learn the lesson here at the 5,000, get in the boat. Get in the boat. So they got in the boat. And they were going through this storm. They got in a place where they couldn't, they couldn't get out of. It was Everything was going, and all of a sudden, it stopped. And they realized it was the power of Christ. To see, what they should have done when Jesus said, feed them, is like, we couldn't do it with a million bucks, God. Jesus, we couldn't do it with a million bucks. What they should have said is, Jesus, we know you're able. How do you want to feed the multitude? When they're, in the sea, when they're in the sea and it's going absolutely berserk and they suddenly see the Spirit and they hear, be of, good, be of good cheer, it is I, be not afraid. Okay. Jesus is here. Everything is alright. But it's much easier to talk about the problems the disciples had than to talk about our own deficiencies of faith. To talk about our own struggles we have in life. Because we all so often... Like we're looking at a GPS, not paying attention to anything that's going around us. We allow the trials of life and whatever circumstance, whatever struggle you're going through, we allow it to take our focus off of Christ. And then we can become blinded to the, and, and not understand the power and the sufficiency of Christ. That He wants to solve this problem. He wants to bring it to a, the conclusion that He has. We just need to trust Him. But when we allow life circumstances to come, things get much more tricky. We begin not to see what God... We begin not to understand even when the power of God is evident in our lives. We ignore what God is already doing because we are so focused on ourselves. As we as I look at problems whatever in my life and I'm trying to I'm trying to live for God. I'm trying to be well, say, I'm trying to be a good assistant pastor. I'm trying to help pastor. I'm trying to help at union and do this and I can allow those things even good things to so take my focus that I stop seeing God at work in these situations. I stop seeing that it's God who provided the $100,000 at the January conference and that He has the power to do that again and again and again until He has finished His work at Union. I can see problems with my life. I'm just, let's say I'm just struggling with something and I'm like, God, how am I going to fix this? And I'm just trying and I'm trying and I'm trying and I stop. And because I'm so focused on that, I don't realize that the same Jesus Christ who fed the 5,000, the same Jesus Christ who has power over nature and walked on water, who raised from the dead, who has the power to save my soul, is available and wants to work in my life. But we so often allow the trials to blind us to the power and the sufficiency of Christ. See, life has a way of just wearing you down. Life does. Traffic, finding parking spots, tickets, other drivers, bikers, now electric bikes, skateboarders. Or if you ride the subway, subway repairs, old trains, stuffed trains. It can just wear on you. We went to um, 
uh, somebody gave us some tickets, and I took the little boys to the Yankee-Mets game last night. It was, uh, it was really cool, but that train going there, it was... It didn't matter if you lost your balance. You weren't going anywhere. And we've all, we've all been on trains like that. It's just you get on that train, you're coming from work, you're tired, you get on the train, you're trying to come to church, and you're just jam-packed in there. And everybody's talking about their own things and yelling over you, and you're just, I just want to get out. And then you come to church, and, you'll, and some of that frustration is just life. It keeps on you. And it wears you down. And you're not focused on what Christ and who Christ is. We can let family problems, health problems, co-workers, neighbors, landlords, siblings, whatever you want to put in there, all can take our eyes off of Jesus Christ and put them on our problems. We could look at politics. We could look at government. We could look at the building department. We could look at landmarks if we're talking about union. We could look at unexpected bills, rent, health care, finances, all these problems of life. Everything wants to take our attention off of Christ and allow wear us down and just wear us down to where we can't even understand and see how God is working in our lives even at that moment. You see, Jesus desired the disciples to endure even greater struggles than they were going through. Because he wanted them to understand that their approach, how they had handled their situations and their trials, had blinded them. They hadn't even considered the miracle of the loaves. Because their hearts were hardened. So what is the answer? The answer is to keep your eyes and mind focused on Christ. With whatever the situation is going on, we need to keep our eyes and our mind focused on Christ. Because the very situation, the disciples were so frustrated with the multitude that was there because that was their vacation time. That was their time to get away from all the struggles of life. And here they all come and join them on vacation. Then they have to feed them. And they had so been about that, gotten frustrated, gotten focused on that, that they didn't even think to see how Jesus was taking five little rolls and two small fishes and feeding this vast multitude with it. So Jesus had to put them on a boat ride to say, wake up, I'm Jesus Christ, I'm all sufficient, you don't have to have your little vacation here, Peter, John, well, all the rest of the disciples, you can have me, and that's all you need. You need Jesus Christ. You need to keep your mind and eyes focused on me instead of all the problems, and you will see the power of God. You will see the sufficiency of Christ already working here, disciples. And the same is true in our lives. When we stop focusing on just our little problems, when we stop and say, Jesus, God, you are my focus. No matter what the trial, no matter what the struggle I'm going through, I know it's life just wears me down, but you are the one who can provide everything I need. You are the one who can um, meet those problems, deal with those people that I can't do. You can feed the 5,000 in my life that I have no ability to do. If I'll simply just trust you, 
But when trials in life just want to make you scream, you're just like, I'm done, I'm finished. Jesus Christ is still there. Jesus Christ still wants to work. If we keep our eyes and mind focused on life. On Christ, excuse me, on Christ. So the question is, where are you focusing your attention? Where does your mind go? What trial just takes your mind? Have you stopped considering what God is already doing in your life? What God has already done in your life? You can look back and you can see what God has done in the Bible, what God has done in this church, what God has done in your life, what God has done in others in this church's lives. And you could say, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever because He is, and I serve the same God, and He is all-powerful and all-sufficient. But if I allow the struggles of life, I can become blinded and not even see what God is doing right now. It'll make me frustrated with the very things that God has told me to do. The things obeying Christ should bring you joy. Following Christ, we talk about it, we sing about it, there's joy in serving Jesus. I would be like Jesus. And the Bible says, yes, there is joy. That's where you'll find your true joy is when you're following Jesus. And that is so true. But when you, see, when you follow Jesus, focused on your problems, you will be the most frustrated, miserable person in the world. Because the joy that comes in serving Jesus comes when you are resting in Jesus. When you're allowing Him to bear the burdens and you're just doing what God has told you to do. The disciples were doing exactly what Jesus had told them to do. He told them, feed the multitudes, they fed the multitudes. Jesus told them, pick it up, they picked it up. Jesus told them, get in the boat, they got in the boat. But were they happy in doing it? No. When Jesus, when they saw the miracle they didn't even, of the bread, they didn't even think about it. Because they weren't focused on Jesus Christ and who He is and what He is. Has life, called, has life caused you to harden your heart? Just press on and say, I'm going to get through this. So that you miss what God is already doing in your life. And what God wants to do challenge tonight is that we need to keep our eyes on Christ and keep our mind focused on Him. That's what Jesus was trying to teach the disciples here. He was trying to say, hey, pay attention to me. Stop worrying about everything that's going on around you. It's so easy to do. You went and you preached, great things happened. You come back and you find your, your mentor's dead. You know what? You can press on if you follow Jesus. You go to find some rest and you find the whole multitude even greater there waiting for you. You can still serve Jesus if you keep your mind and eyes focused on Him. You can be in the middle of a storm, in the middle of the sea, just toiling and rowing. I don't think I'm getting anywhere. But Jesus can come and calm the sea. But the question is, is Jesus going to have to put you through, put you on a boat ride to get you to pay attention to Him? That's what He had to do to the disciples challenges, let's keep our eyes focused on Jesus Christ. Let's keep our minds focused on what Jesus is trying to do in our lives. And we will see the great miracles that He's performing. 
where if we get focused and we just get our New York walk on and go, we can walk right by what God is doing. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we just thank you for tonight. We thank you for your word. I just pray that it would speak to hearts, Lord, that it would be your word and not me. I just pray that we would do business with you tonight. In Jesus' name I pray.